0: Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. At Igniting Your Faith, we strive to motivate listeners toward a full life in Jesus Christ by sharing the love and life-changing force of God's Word. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. Well, this is the 245th birthday of our country. I I put down here 244, I did the math wrong last night in my head. Anyhow, thanks, Tom, I got it from you. Uh, You know, it's good to remember as Christians that we are only passing through this world. The nations and kingdoms of the earth are but a passing moment in God's grand scheme of eternity. And our identity is really not to be first and foremost as Americans. That's secondary At best, that's going to pass like every other national identity. When we get to heaven, there aren't going to be Jews and Greeks, barbarians and Romans. There aren't going to be Americans and Russians. There aren't going to be uh, Brazilians and Papua New Guineans. (laughs) There's going to be brothers and sisters, children of the Heavenly Father. But nevertheless, the Lord has allowed us to either be born in this country or to come to it from another, and so we thank God for the opportunity to live at this moment, in this time, and in this place, and in this nation. Uh, I wanted to just rehearse for you a little bit of what America was like in the days of its uh, birth as a nation, Uh, and and I want to frame it for you in terms of what was going on in, in religion. Uh, you know, the uh, colonists, and in, in, uh, originally it was uh, mostly English, although many other uh, countries were represented here. Jamestown, English colony. Ma- uh, Plymouth, uh, Massachusetts, uh, English colony. Uh, now there were other colonies, Dutch and so on, uh, Spanish in other parts of North America. But when those people came over here, a lot of them were down and outers, Uh, Many of them were not very religious the Church of England by that time had become a a place for the wealthy and For it was almost like a country club, and if you weren't um, Well-dressed and and pretty wealthy you might not feel very comfortable going to an Anglican Church And so a lot of people coming over here weren't they weren't the rich Uh, They weren't the well-to-do they were scrappers now there were religious colonies like Plymouth Bay. But Jamestown had no religion at all in its inception. People came over here for money, for a new chance, for success, for greed. Right away they implemented slavery and, and, uh, as a way to increase their wealth and a godless way of living. And, and so you see in, in the beginnings of our country sort of a, a hodgepodge of not very religious, not righteous, a lot of ungodliness, a lot of broken families, a lot of the things of the flesh. Paul gives a list of those in Galatians 5, and there was plenty of that in the founding of our country. Drunkenness, carousing, factions, fighting, all that kind of stuff. Uh, And and in, in the midst of that, also in England, a lot of bad conditions for the poor, grinding of the lower classes, In the midst of that, the evangelical revival began to take place in the mid-1700s. The The Wesley brothers were part of that, but they weren't alone. There were many people who started preaching the Word of God. Wesley had his own revival experience, where he came out of being sort of a staid and sturdy and stuffy English clergyman who was depending on his own righteousness and, and terrified, not full of courage, not strong, and uh, looking at people around him and not even able to face the the nasty circumstances of life himself. And in that place of despair because of his own lack of courage and his own fearfulness, he started to seek the Lord more earnestly. and, And he found him in a Moravian gathering among people who were seeking God and trusting him and worshiping him even in the midst of the storms of life. And he heard there that good news that his sins could be forgiven, not because he had somehow achieved righteousness on his own, but because of Christ. Because of Christ, his death on the cross, that he could be forgiven and made right with God. And he received that. And I'm sure if you have any kind of Methodist background, you've probably heard that phrase, his heart was strangely warmed. It wasn't just a matter of feelings, though, because in his head, it was about, I get that I am forgiven, that I don't have to struggle and strive anymore to be so righteous and never make it that I'm always in anxiety about what's going to happen to me in this world and in the next. I have peace with God. And from that, he came out of that filled with the Holy Spirit, with courage and strength. And the same thing happened to his brother, Charles, Great hymn writer, we've sung many of his hymns. You know a lot of them, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? Hark the Herald Angels Sing. He wrote about 5,000, so I won't number them for you today. But both those brothers came out of being self-righteous and anxious and fearful childhood religious faith that they were kind of depending on, the faith of the law, the faith of I'm trying to be good, but I'm not really. To trust in Christ for his goodness, believing in him for forgiveness, being reconciled to God, not because they've made it there, they've crossed the bridge by their own goodness, nobody does that, but because Jesus is the bridge and brought them to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, right? Now, those brothers got such a power, and the men and women who began to respond to the gospel got such a power, such a strength, such a courage. They began to preach all over England. At first, they tried to go in the Church of England churches, but they were a little too enthusiastic for those folks who had it all together, and everything was supposed to be stayed and controlled in the church. They were accused of being enthusiasts, right? Wow, what man. Can you believe those guys over there, those holy rollers? (laughs) And they weren't welcome. So Wesley said, Well, we'll go where the people are. We will go to the fields and the factory entrances and the mine entrances and the place where the servants of those great homes gather. And we'll preach there. And people responded to the gospel. They weren't hearing it because they weren't going to church. And so they took the message to them where they were at, and they responded. And then Wesley sent people, those he, he, early, he organized them, I need to say this, he organized them into methodical discipleship groups, small groups. So they could help each other after they responded to the gospel to walk the walk. Now, I'm so excited that we have a small group ministry here that's growing. And even amidst the COVID, we have about 20 small groups that have been meeting over the last year and a half, even in that kind of weird quarantine thing that we've been in. And although you can't always tell by what you see on Sunday morning, the life of Christ is taking place, and people are being encouraged and strengthened in those small groups and growing in Christ. That's what was happening in the early Methodist movement. As those believers responded and they got into these methodical Bible study, discipleship, accountability, prayer, hold me up, I'll hold you up, groups. They were called the class meeting, the bands. And people could get real there. And they were challenged out of that to do good. And all kinds of good works began to flow out of them and bless the people around them and help with many different types of things, like orphanages and the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and the Advancement of Women's Rights, all kinds of good things. Crusades to end slavery. And they brought the gospel over here to America and they started to preach that. And let me tell you, just remind you, that the state of the colonists was rotten, they were in the flesh. They were living for this worldly pleasures, and they were living in death. Their families were being destroyed. Drunkenness was riot-wasting families. There was all kind of immorality and brokenness in people's lives and homes. And they heard this good news, and they got into these methodical discipleship groups where they could help each other walk the walk. And Wesley gave this order to his preachers that came to America, spread scriptural holiness throughout the land. And they did. You know, pretty soon Methodism was the number one Protestant religion in America, and it was for a long time, because people responded to the gospel in that vessel, and that began to transform the country. Now, we, we look back at our founding, and, and it, we can uh, I, I know today even the founding is up for accusation by some people. But we can look at it through rose-colored glasses sometimes and think, oh, wow, what a panacea. It was a great moment of freedom from the world. And and indeed, it was something new being birthed where a nation started from its inception uh, trying to be a Republican democracy. You know, most other nations are kind of like, well, whatever works, we're going to make it work. And, oh, you look really strong, and we'll follow you. And from the beginning, our three-fold system of government put together and designed because of an awareness of human wickedness and the need to counterbalance each other in those three branches of government, executive, legislative, judicial, checks and balances, right? You don't need checks and balances where people are perfect. You don't need any of that. You need that because people are prone to do the wrong thing to selfishness, and things of the flesh. And so as the nation is being born in rebellion against a country, England, that the colonists felt was being unjust, taxation being the famous thing. Everybody remember the Boston Tea Party, right? Uh, That's sort of the straw that broke the camel's back of, hey, listen, we're a people too. You need to respect us over here. Now, I just want to remind, a lot of people don't remember this, that the Methodists in those days had so tri- been so transformed that they didn't want to be warlike. They didn't want to be rebellious. They heard the word in the Bible that says, submit to the governing authorities. And they were like, okay, the king's our authority, we're submitted to him. And when the revolution got started, not every Methodist was on board about getting a new nation born. They were looking at what was happening as a rebellion and they didn't want to be part of it. Many Methodists were accused of being loyalists in the days of the revolution because they didn't want to join in with that rebellion. Now, you know, history has judged the outcome of the revolution. Maybe like Israel departed from Judah and God was in it when those two nations were formed way back in the days of Solomon's son. Uh, So the United States separated out from England and became its own people. You know, Methodism, the evangelical awakening, a great awakening continued to spread in the colonies. And ungodliness turned to godliness. More and more people go to church. More and more people seek God. So that by the time I found the the work of two Anglican clergymen who came over to check out, maybe they weren't Anglican, it says they were a deputation from the Congregational Union of England and Wales. That's probably not Church of England. (laughs) Anyhow, they came to visit the American churches, and they wrote a book called Visit to the American Churches by a deputation. Andrew Reed and James Matheson, And what they found was an amazing number of people in church on Sunday morning and fiery preaching from the pulpit about what righteousness is, calling people to live in the order of God, in the grace of Christ, in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, to get out and renounce the works of the flesh, the wicked deeds of the devil, and to live for God, to find forgiveness and new righteousness in Christ that they couldn't come up with on their own out of their own heart. And as these people responded to that, there was a great lift in the nature of the American character, as it was also happening in Great Britain under that awakening taking place over there. So by the time they got over here and they were seeing all this, they were also seeing conflict. They were seeing places where slavery was used to make wealth, and they clearly identified that as a pernicious evil that should not be. And they were seeing other places where people's lives were being transformed, and so they saw this sort of mix of stuff. They wrote this, and some you know, I, I was looking for the quote by Alexis de, de Tocqueville about the church and the Christian nature of America. I couldn't find it. In fact, I got on the uh, fact-checking website, and they said it never was written by him. So get online and try to find the original quote by Alexis de Tocqueville. You can't. But uh, the fact checkers pointed to these two guys, Andrew Reed and James Matheson, and here's what they wrote. America will be great if America is good. If not, her greatness will vanish away like a morning cloud. Let me say that again, America will be great if America is good. This is what these two clergymen looked, at, wrote when they saw how many people were going to church and the righteousness of Christ that was being preached from pulpits and people's lives being transformed and American character rising above what you would expect from the scrappers who fled or who were forced to get out of England because they came as indentured servants and all that kind of stuff. That the, the national character of hard work, of moral uprightness that they found here. America will be great if America is good. If not, her greatness will vanish away like a morning cloud. You know, that makes me reflect on the state of America today. And we have achieved the freedom that we wanted. But have we not turned freedom into an idol so that our government defends the freedom to do whatever you want, regardless of what God says? As soon as you see that taking place, you know it's not godly freedom. It's not the freedom of the Spirit. Because the freedom of the Spirit is the freedom to do what is right because Christ is in you to help you do it. Instead, it's the freedom of the flesh to go and do whatever you feel like doing, which is all that list of horrible things that Paul gives in Galatians 5. The works of the flesh that lead to destruction. And that's what we're champions of. That's what we're now known for around the world. America will be great if America is good, but if it's not good, that greatness will vanish You know, I saw in the paper, I didn't really read past the headline, but somewhere in Russia, there's a leader who is saying the baton of greatness is passing from America. Now, I suspect that that leader was claiming that they were receiving the baton. And why could that possibly be so? For us who are so proud of our country, if we look and turn and look in the mirror at the sins of America that we trumpet and broadcast and try to force on the rest of the world, whether through our legislation or through our actions in terms of uh, the, the media and entertainment that we put out to the whole rest of the world, we are the source of a river of filth. Is that not so? How could we possibly claim that we are great when we are despoiling the world with that filthiness? Now, why get dark here on this this morning? Because remember, we as the people of God, we as the followers of Jesus, our identity is not in this nation. If it is, woe be to us because we'll go down in flames with the judgment of the nations that comes on all of them. But if our identity is in Christ and our nation and eyes is set on the kingdom of God and that's where our citizenship is and that's where our inheritance is and that's what we live for, then we are in the mold and model of Joshua. Now, I just want to remind you of why God told Joshua to be strong and courageous. You know, Joshua was a young man when the Exodus took place and he became Moses' aide. And as they went through the the wanderings out of Egypt and, and on the way to the promised land, Joshua was the commander of the first battle they encountered against the Amalekites. And then when they got to Sinai, Joshua was with Moses up to the foot of the mountain, and he waited like maybe a third of the way up the mountain while Moses got the law on top of Sinai. And then when the whole golden calf episode took place, Joshua thought it was war. But God had told Moses it was something different. And Moses said, that's not war that you're hearing. That's revelry. That's craziness. Let's go down and take care of it. And you know what happens there. Joshua was with him through all of that. When we got to the edge of the, the wilderness, uh, of the promised land, and it was time to go in, and Joshua and Caleb and ten other spies were chosen to go in and check out the land, Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report. The land is rich, it's full of good things. We can go in and take it. God is with us. God has removed the protection of those people from them. It'll be easy for us to deal with it. But the other 10 spread a bad report. They were afraid. The people in that land are like giants. We were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We can't do that. No faith in God. No trust, no knowledge of the God who had just saved them from the Pharaoh's hand and flew the the Red Sea, who was providing for them supernaturally, manna and the quail. No faith in the midst of visible, tangible signs of God's love for them. And so they didn't go in. And Joshua and Caleb were like, No, don't listen to those guys. We should go in. But they wouldn't go in. And God was so upset with the people because they gave way to fear that he said, Fine you won't go in. None of you will go in. In fact, you will go and wander around this wilderness for 40 years, one year for every day that the spies were in the land of Canaan looking it over. And all of you who were afraid to go in, you won't go in. You'll all die. Everyone who's a soldier, aged to be a soldier. Your children that you were afraid would be killed by those giants, they'll go in and take it. But Joshua and Caleb, servants after my own heart, they will go in. And when Moses died, God picked Joshua to be his successor. And he became the new leader of Israel, to lead the people of God across the Jordan, out of the wilderness, and into the promised land. Now, sometimes we think of the promised land as heaven, but I want to remind you, the promised land was full of enemy cities and giants. Some of us have heard that before. And God commanded Joshua to go in and lead the people to be very strong, very courageous. Don't tremble or be dismayed because I am with you. Who's that remind you of? What did Jesus say when we're facing the giants? When we're in the face of the warring cities and the evil places and people around us, don't be afraid. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And Joshua leads the people across the Jordan in another supernatural act of parting the water. And they get in there and they start to take the promised land. Brothers and sisters, I want to put before you this idea that that's the state we're in now. Now we're in a state where we have, as believers, a promised land ahead of us. We have enemy cities and we have giants and we have the forces of the devil that are arrayed to try to stop the plans and purposes of God from unfolding. The state of America today, morally, is divided, would you not say? Right? Because it's not the whole of the nation that's given way to wickedness. But. There is a large faction of our country that's turned away from God and it's turned away from godly values and it does not know Jesus. And they're building cities around that kind of spirit with all the evil that goes with that. They're building strongholds that have giants in them where the gospel is pushed away. That's our situation today that we're living in as believers as people who belong to the Lord Jesus, as the church of the living God, we are in a place where we need to hear once again Joshua's command to be very strong and courageous. Even the people echoed that. After God said it to Joshua, the people said it to Joshua. We'll follow you. We'll do whatever you say. If anybody won't do what you say, they're going to be executed. Only you be very strong and courageous. And he was. And he led them in complete obedience to the command of the Lord to begin taking over that land, casting down those strongholds of wickedness and destroying the giants and taking the land for God. The Lord promised him every foot, every piece of land on which you step your foot, I'm going to give it to you. Joshua marched a long way in Israel. And that land was given to the people of God. Now, I want want to challenge you that that's us today. We need to stop having this sort of fortress mentality that we're here in our little city and we'll just huddle in here and get safe. And never mind the cities around us with the giants. We need to say, hey, we've, we've been given a mission It's a mission like those early Methodist preachers, to spread scriptural holiness through the land, to offer them Christ, to love them, to not be afraid to share the gospel when it's time, to figure out how to do that in a winsome and effective way, to not be afraid of the giants, the giants of immorality, the giants of atheism, the giants of unbelief, the giants of greed, the giants of idolatry, The giants of broken families and broken hearts. The giants that are out there intimidating and destroying people. We need to stop being afraid of those. To be very strong and courageous. So the Lord says to you and me, the same thing he said to Joshua. Be strong, be courageous, don't tremble or be dismayed because I am with you. Listen, if the living God is with you, who can be against you? Amen. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's the word today. So now let's go live it. Right? Now we're going to turn to communion. And I want to remind you that these are signs and symbols of our Lord's salvation. You know, over the next season in the church's life, I'm going to be preaching on lessons from the wilderness and the conquest. Because I think we need them all over again. We're living in a day and age where many people are discouraged, where they're facing hardship. I was with the staff at staff breakfast this week and asking them what, what they thought the people of God needed to hear. And... Uh, you know, a lot of people have gone through discouraging times with COVID and uh, uncertainty about the state of the nation, and all those things. And there's a lot of lessons for the people of God in those wilderness wanderings and in the taking of the promised land. And we're going to be looking at that together as we go forward. As we take communion today, I want to remind you that in Joshua 5, I think it's today's reading in the Bible app, the Son of God shows up to encourage Joshua before the battle of Jericho. He says, I've come as commander of the army of the Lord. And Joshua falls face down before him. And he says, what do you want me to do? And he says, take off your shoes because this is holy ground. This is the incarnate son of God talking to Joshua, telling him what to do next. The same one who comes later to be incarnate, to take on the burden of our sin, our wickedness, the evil that we have in our heart and on our tongue and to deal with it on the cross to die in our place so we could be forgiven healed and made new given god's holy spirit to wash us clean of all that filthiness of the world and make us into children of god And as you come today i invite you if you've never put faith in jesus to do so today to say, Jesus, I have been trying hard to be right and good on my own and it's just not working. I know what my own heart's like. It's not, I'm not getting there. I want yours. I want you to fill my heart. Give me the conviction that my sins are forgiven because of what you've done for me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I accept your sacrifice for us. Thank you for listening to Igniting Your Faith. Let God's Word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet. Igniting Your Faith is copyrighted and published by Dr. Chris Fisher and First Church, Haven, Pennsylvania. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher, this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.